1: and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off.
3: Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus
0: You're listening to Side Hustle Pro,
4: the podcast that teaches you to build and grow a side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is episode 8 of Side Hustle Pro. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to give a huge shout out to everyone who has subscribed, downloaded, shared, and reviewed the show. We're closing in on almost 5,000 downloads, and that would not have been possible without your support. Speaking of support, though, let me be real with y'all for a second. I would so appreciate a review in the iTunes App Store. Reviews are what gets Side Hustle Pro onto iTunes radar, and that enables discovery by more people who need to hear these stories. We need to change the narrative of entrepreneurship. So please, please, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Now, without further ado, I'm delighted to introduce today's featured guest, Stephanie Lampkin. Stephanie is the founder of Blendor, a mobile job matching app that hides candidate name and photo to circumvent unconscious bias and facilitate diversity recruiting in tech companies. Studies have shown that two identical resumes with only a name difference can yield a 100% difference in response rate. Blendor's goal is to highlight the information that's most relevant to a candidate being a good fit, independent of race, gender, military history, or sexual orientation. Stephanie, the founder and CEO, received her BS in engineering from Stanford and her MBA from MIT Sloan. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. So tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you're currently working on.
5: Yeah, thank you. Um, Thanks for having me. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, founder and CEO of Blendor. Um, My journey to tech and to Silicon Valley is a little unique. I am the product of a single parent um, who at uh, at one point was homeless, um, and we ended up moving to D.C. because my auntie at the time was enrolled in computer science program at the University of Maryland College Park. So that actually ended up being pretty influential in my trajectory because the same auntie is the one that got me into coding at a very young age. So I was introduced through her through this organization called Black Data Processing Associates uh, when I was 13, I started uh, these coding courses every Saturday for about four months during the summer. And I became a full stack developer by the time I was 15 to AP Computer Science in high school and uh, kind of took off from there between Stanford a five-year career at Microsoft, and then most recently graduating from MIT with um, with now Blendor being my second tech startup.
4: Oh, wow. Oh, your second step tech startup. Uh, tell us about your yeah. first.
5: So my first startup was called Who and Where. It was a group travel planning tool that takes the pain out of organizing trips for multiple people, primarily around collecting money from everybody, getting everybody, every, um, everyone on board as far as where we're going, where we're staying, what we're doing, et cetera. Um, I had lo- I had traveled a lot. I've been to 27 countries on five continents, and oftentimes uh, with family and friends and and schoolmates. So this was my my initial attempt at at entrepreneurship was focused on travel tech.
4: Oh, interesting. Yeah, that is such a pain. Um, do you still do that, or you kind of take no,
5: it? no, we kind of shelved it. So after I, you know, I, not really gaining a lot of traction, um, and then you know, part of my story is. Kind of when that startup was heading south, I interviewed for an analytical lead position at Google. I was going to go back into corporate America, and uh, I met with about 80 different people. I thought it went really well, but the recruiter came back and basically said they didn't think I was technical enough, but that they'd hang on to my resume in case a sales or marketing position opened up. So that was really my aha moment uh, around why something like Blendor could be useful, and I started it at a hackathon Um, in October of 2014. And everyone loved it and said, whatever you're doing now, you should drop it and
4: focus on this because you're on something. Wow. Now, um, this is not going to turn into a Google Bash session. Don't worry.
5: (laughs) 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 They're one of my (laughs) faithful customers now.
4: I feel like uh, you just spoke my story right right now, except a a little different. So I don't know if you listened to the first episode, but I talk about how I interned during my, um, I went to uh, Ross for my MBA and during my first and second year interned at Google thought it went really well I got like one of those Google bonuses I mean it was just I was just so sure that I was going to work for Google after um after I graduated and then you know they told me I wasn't analytical enough and I, I didn't get the offer and I was like wow. uh, scratches my head like excuse me <laughs>
3: yeah
5: yeah it's crazy so, but it's then crazy they'll here. come back and say oh, you know, the reason why our diversity numbers are so poor is because it's a pipeline problem. Exactly. There's just not enough
4: educated, qualified women and people of color. Right. Mind you, is, I have a yeah. whole list of really qualified people who I know personally who've been rejected now, including you. Yeah. I can add you to that list. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. move right yeah. along. We'll move right along. So we'll come back to your founding story. But, um, you know, I don't want to skip over the fact that you went to undergrad at Stanford, then Then you went to MIT Sloan for your MBA. So by all accounts, you were set to follow a traditional corporate path. When did you feel this entrepreneurship call?
5: Um, Honestly, it's always been there. I come from a family of entrepreneurial women. My mother has kind of avoided corporate America as much and as often as possible. So I was always exposed to um, female entrepreneurs. You know, when I was in, in high school, I was setting up her QuickBooks and doing her inventory and receipts. And so that I always had that bug. Um, and, you know, when I when I took the offer at Microsoft, I kind of opened myself up to the possibility of being, you know, a lifer with a, a company, with a really great company. But after about two years, I realized the glass ceiling was real um, and really more so because of gender than anything else, because there are a lot of um men of color who were inhibiting my progress at the company so so yeah once i kind of got the real deal of of corporate america i realized that if i wanted to be able to
4: demonstrate my full potential i would have to do it on my own Mm, that is so that is like such a key statement right there um there's only so much you can go there's only so much you can do sometimes with that ceiling and someone else calling the shots and someone else when someone else gets to determine your growth and progress in a company So now let's go back to the idea for Blendor. Um, How did that process come about? Did you side hustle before making the leap? Uh,
5: No, not for this venture. So uh, for the previous one, I did start that idea while I was working at Microsoft. So I did did do the moonlighting thing for a while. But for the second one, I kind of went all in from the jump. So while in business school... Um, I didn't recruit, I didn't give my resume to the university. I was very determined to kind of focus on starting a company and it's easy to transition into a startup out of business school because you're kind of used to not getting a check on the first and the 15th. Right. So (laughs) I knew that if I went back to corporate America after business school, I would get spoiled and I would, you know, create all sorts of expenses. Um, but you know, kind of avoiding that made things a lot easier. Okay.
4: And so then, how did you financially prepare for this path? Because you're in business school. Were you? Did you avoid trips? I mean, business school is such a like wallet bleeder.
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So partly a little bit of savings, partly a little bit. While I was at while I was at Microsoft, I um, maxed out my contribution to my 401k. Um, and little known fact, you can um, you can dissolve your 401k while you're in school without having to pay. The penalties so long as, you know, so long as you're in school. Um, so that helped a lot. And then I did a, a crowdfunding campaign where I kind of, I sent to everyone that I knew that, Hey, you know, I'm graduating from Sloan instead of a graduation gift, help me, uh, with some early stage seed money so that I can start this company. Cause it's something that I'm really passionate about doing. And I was able to raise probably any, probably about 15 to $20,000. Um, just doing that alone. Wow, that's really impressive.
4: Um, so what were some of the other first steps you took when, when you decided to take Blendor from idea to startup?
5: First steps. Uh, so the first step I did was build it. Um, in my previous startup, I outsourced the development and got really dismal results. So for this one, I committed to at least building the first version of the product. So I locked myself away for two months and focused on Kind of relearning the code and understanding how to to create a mobile app. So I did that, and then the onus was on me to just pitch it, to show it to people. Um, The timing was perfect. So in January of 2015 was when Intel had made a commit a 300 million dollar commitment to diversity, and I somehow landed a meeting with the chief diversity officer Rosalind Hoodnell, she loved it. And so that got me, I literally packed up and drove from New York to San Francisco.
4: You did what? Yeah.
5: (laughs) Yep. Yep. I mean, it was, I was getting such a positive response. It was so different than my previous startup where I felt like I was pushing the idea on people versus this one where everyone was more so pushing me to execute. Um, so it was a, it was a very, a very strong motivation, a very strong validation that this was something that was needed and and important. So, so yeah, I pretty much sold the house and the farm, right. I moved to SF and found a lawyer who believed so much in what I was doing that she, we put together a a fee deferral agreement, which was essential because she got me all set up as a Delaware C Corp. We got, you know, official business bank account, kind of all the fundamental stuff out of the way. Mm -hmm. Um, that I wouldn't have been able to do without her. So that was, that was really valuable. Um, And then I just started going on this pitching circuit, just pitching, getting exposure, meeting as many people as possible and and getting more feedback so that I could optimize the product.
4: Okay. So let's, take a step back and talk a little bit about this lawyer, because a lot of times um, entrepreneurs, when they're starting something, they don't know what step to take first. Do you do you think that the lawyer was essential to this? Like, so should everyone go out and try to find a lawyer to help them structure deals and structure the pitch process?
5: Um, not necessarily around structuring deals or structuring pitches, but just making sure that you have um, the fundamentals, right? So making sure that you are incorporated optimally that you have kind of all your checks and balances in place so that when you are ready to raise money, um, even if it's from family and friends, that everything is covered. All your bases are covered. And it also helps as you bring on employees because there's contracts and NDAs and all sorts of things that have to be in place, even if they're just 1099 contractors, Um, it just, it just legitimizes everything you do going forward. But in terms of structuring pitches and deals, it's not really about that. It's more so just about, um, creating a solid foundation for, for,
4: um, for good business future. Got it. And how did you make the decision to set up a Delaware C-Corp as opposed to another type of uh, business infrastructure?
5: Um, it's a pretty well-known thing. It's most tax, tax friendly, um, it's easiest in terms of bringing on contractors, employees. Um,
4: and yeah, it's it's a common practice for okay.
5: the most
4: part. Yeah. Right. We're just breaking it down for the, the folks who don't know what that is. <laughs>
5: yeah. Yeah. And there's there's a ton of resources online that can give you comparisons of C-Corp versus S-Corp, sole proprietorship, LLC, et cetera.
4: Okay, great. Yeah. So you gone through this pitch process walk us through that a little bit um and and what's the you know as of today total amount of money that you've raised
5: so as of today we have officially raised about three hundred thousand dollars wow we just closed on a little bit more cash um but that's actually still below the minimum amount that we need to raise so i'm I'm still very much in the fundraising process Mm -hmm.
4: um and then what i'm sorry what was your second question walk us through the pitch process. Um, how, yeah. So, uh, it's, it's different pitches for different audiences.
5: Um, I've won several pitch competitions. I probably won over $50,000 in pitch competition winnings alone. Um, and that pitching on stage is more of a performance. It's more of a, how do you get, how do you resonate with the audience given only two to three minutes um, so that they understand what you're doing, the viability of it and how and why it works. Um, but when you're pitching to investors, it's a whole another type of story because they're more so focused on what kind of traction have you had? What, what are the unit economics? Why, why is this going to work? What are you going to do with the money? What is your expected burn rate, financial projections? Um, so it's much more focused on how can this bring me significant value and returns. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's there's definitely an art to crafting your pitch and tailoring it to the different audiences
4: that you talk to. And I'm, I'm so glad you broke down the different types of pitches because, you know, I think a lot of people, they might watch Shark Tank and they might think they're going to go in and say a cute little, you know, um, poem and, and break down their business and then have people vying to, uh, bid and, and invest in them. And that's just not how it is. Um, how did you, how do you decide who to pitch and what, um, competitions to enter?
5: Um, it's really just whatever's focused or tailored to what I'm doing. Um, what I qualify for. I'm, I'm not really, I don't really limit where and what it's just, do I qualify? And if it's a good fit. Um, so the pitch competitions I've done are usually around tech, um, or around diversity or around, um, people operations. So Mm -hmm. kind of those three categories.
4: Okay. Yeah. And what has been the most surprising part of this process of raising money? Um,
5: the most surprising part about this for me is that even though venture capital, Venture capitalists claim to understand the importance of diversity, and even just in general, in investment, people know diversity in portfolios are are important. It's surprising to me how much they continuously invest in the same types of people with the same types of ideas, um, and and oftentimes just follow. Uh, so it's it's a very sheepish kind of culture in that all it takes is to get one or two people on board and, and then everyone will follow. And so you, you see a lot of this, just the same pattern matching a lot of uh, homogeneity in just who's getting money. And, you know, there was the recent report released, Project Diane, uncovering that there are actually only about, there's less than 15 black women in the world that have ever raised a million dollars or more in venture capital. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's by far been the hardest Experience I've ever gone through,
4: and how are you um, pushing through that? I mean, like uh, imposter syndrome—does that come come up, and how do you fight it?
5: No, because I'm a little crazy, <laughs> <Mikayla>. I <laughs> That's good. For whatever reason, I have the opposite of imposter syndrome, and I have I have uh, anti bias because because I know that there is um, bias towards white and Asian men oftentimes I believe that they're less qualified, less smarter, less um, equipped because they've been given the benefit of the doubt versus I have not. I've had to work, you know, twice as hard for half as much. Right. So there's and it's not even conscious. Right. It's not even conscious. But when I do you know, yeah. when I come across people of color and women out here that are still in the game, yeah. I hold them at a much higher, like I perceive them to be extremely higher in intelligence and grit and
4: capabilities than I
5: do the average white and Asian guy because they're just everywhere. Right. So
4: (laughs) I know. And it's kind of bad. And, you know, this might come as a shock to some, but I saw a phrase once and it said, um, carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man. And, (laughs) (laughs) and I always think of that when I start to get, you know, like uh, insecure or feel nervous because that just was my Google experience in a nutshell. It, it was really like, yeah. why am I doubted And why am I um, not giving given the benefit of the doubt of some of these men that I see walking around here, not knowing ish. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's real. I'm glad it's you surreal. have that added.
3: As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns, but a deep voice doesn't sell B2B.
1: l-d-e-j-a-n-e-i-r-o soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.
3: Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans.
4: So let's talk about the reception. You know, speaking of the bias, what has been the reception to Blendor from recruiting teams at tech companies?
5: Oh, it's been really positive. I mean, right now, a lot of companies are employing unconscious bias training, which many studies have shown are ineffective. Um, And ultimately, a lot of these companies aren't seeing any improvement in their diversity numbers. Not sure if you saw Facebook's recent comments about their, their rationale for why things haven't gotten better. So... Overall, the response has been positive. People are looking for new and innovative ways to tackle this issue. And, you know, to be honest, many of them aren't really trying that hard, which is which is fine. I mean, all that does is create an opportunity for us to make a significant difference. And I feel confident in my ability to do that because I'm so connected to these communities that um, they aren't. And even just their perception about um, people, women and people of color it's it's just so far off the mark, um, and it's sad, at on one hand, but it's great on the other hand because it's an opportunity for me to demonstrate a lot of value.
4: No, oh, great. And were there any surprises, and what other companies or other sectors have been interested in Blendor's premise?
5: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm getting I'm getting requests from all across the board, um, from you know. Folks that are in government, um, actually the Pentagon, I had a meeting at the Pentagon, they're, they're thinking about using Blendor internally for unbiased matching. Um, I've had folks from finance, from retail, all across the board uh, that I've identified the need for this. So it's been, it's been very rewarding and validating to have that level of interest.
4: Oh, that's awesome. And, and you just reminded me of something when you said the Pentagon, I saw your video that you put up with, uh, you're invited to the white house to speak. Yeah. And <laughs> President Obama <laughs> shouted you out. You guys I'm going to link to this in the show notes. And <laughs> you did- the This Is Your Day song. Oh, my God. I love that song. Yes. Yeah. Yes. How, how has it how do you stay focused when you start getting this type of attention? And it's easy to, like, you know, get caught up in the hype and lose sight of all the work that still needs to be done. So oh, that's a good question. Um, It's easy to
5: stay focused when you're still cash poor. Right. Okay. So, yeah, all the media is great. good looking at Obama. But. At the end of the day, I still haven't gotten major investment, um, and that's a problem. Like, I can't compete. I can't deliver excellence unless I am I have the support. So that's what keeps me focused and grounded at the end
4: of the day. Got it. And speaking of support, so as you expand, how do you go about selecting the right team? And have you faced challenges with this?
5: Yes, absolutely. Um, Early, early stage company team building is a lot like dating. Um, It's difficult to just go out on one date and kind of make a long term commitment. And then sometimes you make a long term commitment with someone and it doesn't work out. And it's really disappointing because you have to kind of go back to the drawing board. Um, But I've been lucky. And honestly, the the, the best folks that I've, I've brought on have been people that are just passionate about this issue and they've come to me just wanting to help and compensation and incentives weren't even the priority. Um, so I'm fearful of the time when I have to actively go out and look for people because so far the inbound interest, the quality of the people that have come to me has been so extraordinary um, and they've been so skilled and, and passionate. I've, I've just been really lucky.
4: Oh, that's great. Um, so you haven't had to fire anyone or anything crazy?
5: Um, I've definitely had some poor contractor experiences, but no, not not any full-time folks just yet.
4: Okay. And how do you approach onboarding? Do you have a full-out process or you're just kind of like we're still in the um, grind phase and just come on down?
5: Um, I kind of start with just the drinking from the water 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 hose type, fire hose type thing where I just give, you know, you. I open the Dropbox and I say, okay, let's start with helping you understand what we're doing with the technology, helping you understand who our partners are, who our enterprise customers are, what, what is our 30, 60, 90 day plan. Um, and then from that, we just hit the ground running. I mean, it, all you have to, all a person has to do is shadow me for a week um, and they'll get a really good sense about what we're doing and, and what the needs are and where we're going.
4: Hmm, cool. So, what are where what are the needs of? You know, where are you going? what other sectors do you plan to target to expand the app's reach?
5: Yes, yeah, good question. So right now, we're just focused on fundraising and product development for the summer. But starting in the fall is when we'll start getting aggressive about bringing on more companies. because um, as of right now, we've limited it to only big tech, big tech names, big tech brands. Mm-hmm. Um so later in the fall, we'll be opening it up to other large multinational companies. And then from there, we'll start, Branching out into smaller companies and startups, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, my focus is on leveraging partnerships with like National Black MBA Association, Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, uh, Lesbian to Tech, Veterans in Tech. Like, really, my go to market strategy is really to develop strong ties with those organizations that already have a great reach so we can get as many candidates as possible on the platform.
4: Oh, great. And you just made me think of another question, you know, with this, with the pipeline excuse and all of that stuff going on, people are really getting frustrated. And there are a couple more um, businesses that are, are forming around this model of blind recruiting. So is there any thoughts of partnering or, you know, how do you differentiate yourself as more of these pop up? Well, no one that I know of is really executed well in terms of sourcing talent. Okay,
5: Um, Gap Jumpers is a company that gives you gives a candidate opportunity to to fill out a quiz with no indication of identity, Um, and then interviewing IO masks your voice for the um, for the phone screening. Uh, But we're really tackling the issue. And somewhat of a different way, just focus at, on on the top of the funnel. Like, how do we just get people um, in the door mm. um, in a in a scalable way? So f- for that reason, it's a lot different. And then we're also hoping, like our our broader strategy is around um, giving companies analytics about how far certain demographics of people are making in the pipeline. And then on top of that, giving companies an opportunity for. Imp- for branding, So what we've done is we've we've uh, figured out how many women and people of color are in executive leadership for every company. What are their special um, employee resource groups? Do they have any um, special maternity leaves or programs or mentorships, et cetera, folks focused on retention? And from that, we've given every company on our platform a score. We call it the blend score. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically a score from one to five. Um, and what that does is it kind of creates sort of this like, glass door effect where we're bringing more transparency to the consumer, to the, to the end users around what these companies are really doing to improve their numbers, as opposed to a lot of just the PR stuff that we've seen in the media. Um, so hoping that that increased transparency will put a little more fire in, in the engine to get companies
4: to, to really invoke change. I love that because Glassdoor really does, you know, companies get that fire under their butt when those Glassdoor reviews are not good. Yeah, Um, yeah, exactly. And is the idea also to, you know, have them keep this as part of their recruiting pipeline forever? You know, like what's the model to sustain the app, the apps use once the user (laughs) finds the role they're looking for?
5: Uh, Yeah. So on the candidate side, we want to expand into content, professional development content. So, you know, there's a lot of meetup groups and organizations and conferences and events and community things that happen um, around, you know, one's geographic area. So we want to expand to, okay, once you have a job, how can we match you with different entities to help in your career advancement or to help you create communities within your space, so that you don't get that, you know, like you said, that imposter syndrome, burnout, or that tokenism burnout. Because a lot of companies don't understand that. Yeah, it's great that you're bringing in more minorities, but you have to create an inclusive environment for them want for them to want to stay. Um, and so we're we're hoping to kind of add a layer of that to the platform where we're helping um, women and minority professionals connect with others that are in their field, in their areas so that they, you know, they can feel like they have a community.
4: Mm, I also love that because especially within Silicon Valley, I know that the minority community is so tight because they're, there's not that many of us right and Mm -hmm. you know when we're gonna jump we're analyzing like well where else can i jump in this uh sector so having that knowledge of you know what's going on with the companies their glass door ratings and all of and forming that community will be so helpful to to when you do want to make a jump and just to revisit the um the pitching and the financial aspects of this for a second. So how do you continue to financially sustain yourself given the unpredictable nature of entrepreneurship?
5: Yeah. So we stay really lean, um, just try to keep expenses really low. I mean, obviously we have a bit of cash in the bank um, having raised 300,000 so far, but just keeping the burn rate really low. Like I I share an office uh, with a former classmate, so rent is half of what it usually is. Um, and then I also have roommates so that I'm able to afford to live in San Francisco. Uh, so yeah, and, and again, I think it's easier for me to, to maintain um, this sort of budget lifestyle because I am coming out of business school. Um, I didn't go back to the lifestyle that I had before business school, um, <laughs> and so for that reason, it's it's been a lot easier for me to stay pretty lean.
4: So you're not paying yourself a salary yet. It's it's no,
5: it's okay. no, just covering basic living expenses
4: for Got the most it. part. Got it. All right, so now we're gonna shift to the lightning round of the show, and that's basically where I'm gonna ask you questions. You're gonna answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? I'm okay. ready. All right. Number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience?
5: Uh, LinkedIn, by far, is the most underutilized resource uh, for, for most business people and entrepreneurs. I use it for all of my contacts and understanding who lives where and what they do, etc. is a really great export feature export to Excel that a lot of people don't know about. Um, But yeah, LinkedIn, it has been my biggest resource for sure.
4: Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that because you're totally right about that. I exported my contacts the other day and just sent one email blast. I was like, you guys, don't Mm -hmm. worry. I'm not going to spam you every week, but just to announce the podcast. And yeah, LinkedIn definitely keeps that on the hush. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? I'm
5: somewhat of an economics geek, so I love Planet Money. Uh-huh. Um, there's some really, really great uh, podcasts on that, and then Freakonomics, similarly. Um, and then probably the third one would be Recode Decode with Kara Swisher.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: She's uh, she's interviewed quite a diverse group of folks um, throughout the year, so I always enjoy.
4: Yeah, I like her a lot. She holds no punches. That mm-hmm. yes.
5: <laughs> yeah, she's a little firecracker. Oh yeah, I
4: love. I love women under 5'2 (laughs) in (laughs) general. Oh, I just missed the cut. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, So number three, who inspires you and why?
5: Who inspires me? Uh, Probably my auntie. Um, She was the one that we moved in with. So she's always been like my second mom. And she's the only one in my family that has always just had a like, go get it sort of attitude. Um, and she's always been the one that believed in me. And and I, think, and I feel like really recognized that I was different in a good way. So I'm always inspired to be successful. So one day I can buy her a big house and she'll live happily ever after.
4: <laughs> and um, another question, which actually was crowdsourced, how does one break into tech with a completely different non-technical background? Mm, good question. I would say networking, right? So
5: go go on Meetup, find different Meetup groups, um, talk to people because you whether you come from a design, finance, uh, HR, legal, like there's there's always some there's always dots that can connect you. So start there, um, and then just you know just start dabbling in a little bit of code. Code Academy has some some free courses that you can take, uh, as well as Lynda.com. Um, just to get you the, the foundation experience of, of tech. And, uh, and yeah, take it from there.
4: All right. And finally, what's your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who dream of working for themselves, but don't know where to start?
5: Mm, don't know where to start. Um, probably the biggest advice that I give women is is really around what we touched on a little bit around um, overcoming imposter syndrome. I think we have something I don't know if it's by birth, but women in general innately have overwhelming self-doubt, um, and it inhibits us from, from executing, and, and oftentimes we're perfectionists. So I'd say, you know, if you have an idea, um, start with just just designing something. Throw something together, even if it's just a PowerPoint deck. Um, draw it out and start talking with people. The other thing is don't feel like you have to be secretive about your idea. No one's gonna steal your grand idea and
4: become a billionaire. Please <laughs> say how that it works. again. Please say that again. <laughs> because people really do not understand like the effort yeah. it's gonna take someone to truly execute on your idea. Like, and and everyone executes differently. Right. It's somewhat of a lottery
5: ticket. Who gets you know who who, who wins? But there were, you know there were plenty of Instagram like apps before Instagram got a billion dollar buyout from Facebook, right? Um, so yeah, it's more valuable for you to talk to as many people as, po- as possible who can tell you, no, that's dumb, or yes, this is good, or maybe you should think about this feature, or maybe you should think about that. That's more valuable than um, hanging on to it for dear life. As we've seen with, unfortunately, Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos, right? She's yes. super, super secretive. Yeah. And now her $9 billion just went to zero. Right. I mean, you're
4: they're about to make a movie about her yeah listen Um, women talk to each other talk to me talk to us like we are here to help and also um learn from each other you know so stop trying to make people sign your nda just to talk about your idea not because no one's doing that that it's not how it works it's not how it works (laughs) All right, Stephanie. Well, it was so great having you on the show. I almost feel like I just want to keep talking to you, but I want to be respectful of your time. So, what's the best way to connect with you after this episode? Yeah, so you could shoot me an email at
5: hello at blendor.com. I try to check that account once a week or so. Alternatively, follow us on Twitter at blendor. Um, and, uh, and yeah, my, my, if you go to www.blendor.com, you can sign up for the app
4: and get access to our beta. Awesome. And there you have it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the side hustle pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week.